what you been up to? Is that right? Like that there? I've been missing you, you know? But I want you to know something. I've been thinking. I've been thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's about time that we get back on track and get to talking about some more music. Meanwhile, I was still thinking. My uh, name is Dion. I am a member of Lightning Licks Vinyl Preservation Society, which is a collective of music enthusiasts whose mission is to celebrate and examine our often unhealthy, always obsessive, more often than not creepily intimate relationship that we share with the physical media that is vinyl records. And I am here across a dining room table from my dear friend, my sonic sensei, my plutonic life partner... The man with the plan. Everybody knows him. Everybody's great friend, Jay. Jay. Oh, my God. I don't think he even took a breath that whole time. That was pretty impressive, man. You should see me underwater. I I was just going to mention. I was going to say something about, I bet you're a good swimmer. (laughs) I bet you're a real good scuba-er. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, my name is Jay. Part of Lightning Licks Radio Podcasting. Yeah, dude. I mean, this is what we do, right? It is what we do. For good or for ill, for better or for worse, this is the thing that we do. It hasn't been too long. I think we no. stayed relatively on track, maybe yeah. a month or whatever. But we yeah. had some stuff come out. I was I was glad to be able to share some outtakes and things of that nature, just to keep the uh, the rabid fans of Lightning Licks Radio involved. You know, yeah. Keep them up to date on kind of what's going on. You can't uh, keep them addicted if you don't give them a taste once in a while. Yeah, man. Just a little pinch between the cheek and gums. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. If you're a listener, you know that we have just done a bonus episode, and the episode before that was a themed episode, but it was the alphabet. So now we're going to do a themed episode that's not the alphabet. We are going to do. And then uh, just for you who are keeping score at home, we're going to break stuff up a little bit because we're going to record another pod in in a couple weeks where we're going to do our top 11 of the year. So we're going to forego the The bonus bonus episodes until we get back into the new year. That's a lot. I mean, we usually have... You know, an hour, an hour and a half of us yapping, and then a whole separate 90 minute mixtape. So, you know, there's no really need to overdo it. So, that's what I was looking forward to. Yeah, I've got the letter F coming up in February, maybe in February, F for February. Oh, that'd be cool. But, yes, we're all, and we're also going to do an episode in January that we're going to entitle The Leftovers, where we're able to talk about some music that was stuff that we really liked in 2022 that, like, maybe we didn't came out in 2021, but we didn't actually physically get until 2022 because of the, back up at the vinyl pressing plants and right. stuff right. and um some other just other stuff that we we didn't get to newer music from mm-hmm. 2022 but we're just gonna call that one the leftover yeah. so that could be you, something that was really close to making the list yeah. whatever sort of like an honorable mention yeah, or it would make our top 20 but not our top you know, 11 by a technical reason they didn't they weren't able to get into our paws the vinyl yeah. was not able to get into our collection so for you those of you keeping score at home that's what you have to look forward to coming up you know, Lightning Licks podcast. That's exciting. So, Dion, since this one thematically was kind of your baby, why don't you tell them what the theme is that we're going to be doing? We're talking about uh, albums that are underrated. So that's not necessarily to say that they're unknown or by unknown bands, right? right? But they're underrated by known bands in their discographies, right? So albums that are basically underrated for whatever reason we feel they're underrated we want to talk about them the kids say we got to give them their flowers right we want to give these albums their flowers we want to <laughs> sing their praises to the world and talk about why we believe they're underrated yeah and underrated obviously is subjective yeah a little bit and in any of the bands that i'm going to talk about you can get a super fan into a room who will agree with me that the record that i'm talking about is great but in the grand scheme of things when you're looking at a band's or artist discography just for instance, I'm just going to throw this out there. 
like Led Zeppelin, people talk about Four, they talk about Physical Graffiti, they talk about the first record, Presence, yeah. is my favorite Led Zeppelin record. That's awesome. To me, that one is a bit underrated in their discography. Right. Same thing with like something like Panorama from The Cars, which yeah. is also, I feel like a, like a total contrarian, also my favorite Cars record, yeah. but it didn't have any hits. It's probably, it's not, to say it's not loved, it's not as loved as some of their other releases and that's kind of what we're going for here just as an example i'm not going to talk about either one of those bands today but nope. that's what we're going for that's what yeah. we're going yeah. for that's what yeah. we're going yeah. for that's what we're going for that's what we're going for but uh, now we're doing a bit of a theme, a focus, a topic. What, in your opinion, uh, what, what is the most underrated album? Not in terms of score or anything, but reception, general discussion, acceptance into the great music canon. I would just underrated, underrated, Let's underrated. Let's go. Let's go. So because it was your idea, you're going to do it. Oh. D, what was the first record that popped into your head when you thought, okay, this is what we're doing? I'm going to talk about a band, Throwing Muses, uh, female-led alt-rock legends, an American band out of Rhode Island. And uh, you've spoken about them before on Lightning Leaks Radio, not the band themselves, but the leading ladies kind of separately. Yeah. Kristen Hirsch, Tanya Donnelly. I'm not sure who the bassist was. You know, right? That other cute woman. Leslie uh, Langston is the bass player of the original. Okay. So he's bass player. Then she wasn't for a while, so I don't think right. she's as important. But David Narciso was on drums, and he's probably an underrated drummer just because he didn't use cymbals on the first few records. He learned to play without them, and he used them in an unorthodox way when he did introduce them into the kit. I don't think Throwing Muses is too terribly underrated as a band. I mean, they've certainly earned their place in alt-rock history. I think they were the first American band that was signed to 4AD. That's a pretty big deal. That's like instant indie cred. Both of the leading ladies went on to have successful careers outside of of the band. Obviously, Tanya was in Belly. Mm -hmm. Kristen just did all of her solo stuff, too, to much acclaim, I think. And Belly were pretty big there for a while. And Tanya was uh, involved in that first Breeders record, which was fucking huge. Like, that record just totally kills. I forget about that. Yeah, Yeah, man. What a great record. Have you listened to that lately? Not lately. That first record is just amazing. It is great. if you get a chance... Check that out. All Things Breeders is cool, though. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, All Things Throwing Muses is cool, and that's why I wanted to talk about them. The record I want to talk about is Hunk Papa. Now, that came out in 1989, and I think it's their most underrated to me because I obviously, like, caught wind of who they were, like, in the 90s, the late 90s, like, three or four records after this, you know, when alt-rock was everywhere, uh, especially on MTV, and I had to work myself back. So when I heard this record... Um, I just really fell in love with it. Now, I have seen some reviews where people will say things like it's too bright for them coming off of their first two records, which were really kind of more punk. You know, this is more of a indie rock kind of feel. Uh, they didn't dig the production. Uh, the drums do sound kind of muffled, but I think it works in this record. I just wish that people would look, uh, you know, more deeply into the actual songs because the songs exist on this record. I think you can tell kind of where they were going, and I think uh, the overall product is just pretty awesome. Yeah, I got into them. I I remember seeing it was in a magazine, and I saw a picture of them, and I thought that Kristen and Tanya were cute. (laughs) So I I remember buying, when I lived in California, I was buying a lot of cassettes. I remember picking up that first EP, The Fat Skier. And it definitely, it sounded like a band that was definitely finding its feet. I feel like it's, again, not to compare them to like a band like the Coat Hangers, but they also became like better, each record, they obviously became better musicians. There's a certain 
what is it, naivete? Naivete. <laughs> That's like the hardest word for me to say. Yeah. Um, there's a certain kind of almost amateurish quality to some of the earlier stuff too, but that's also what made it really interesting, yeah. I think. And then I, there was a couple of things that I bought after that, but then I, for whatever reason, I just kind of fell off on them. I saw their stuff come up on 120 minutes and stuff like that too, but I never really got back into them. But listening to the track that you're going to use for the mixtape and listening to a little bit more of it before you came over, I'm like, I feel like this is a band that like right for rediscovery for Jay. Yeah. For me. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's ripe for rediscovery for a lot of people, and especially this album, because it's not going to be one of the ones that you, you read about if you read an article about these guys. They're going to send you to the bookends of this record, right? They're going to send you to the EPs and the two albums that came before, and also the shit came after when they sort of started to break off and do their own thing. This is one of those bands that kind of is like a pebble that you throw in a pond and then, you know, all the waves that ripple off onto shore are like important. And the, and the further away you get, the more important that they have a place in the history of this alternative music. So, I mean, it's a really interesting band. I love the way it sounds and just want to share it with people. I think it's underrated. Throwing Muses, Hunk Papa. What's the track that you're going to use for the mixtape? The track I'm going to use is a track called Dragonhead, and it is interesting because it's like two songs in one. There's this really long intro that's kind of like driving, and then it turns into kind of this beautiful ballad thing with like some sweet string arrangements. And it's also interesting because it is written by Tanya Donnelly, and Tanya didn't necessarily write a ton of the... I mean, she wrote some of the songs, but for the most part, it was the Kristen her Hirsch show, show yeah. for quite a while. I mean, even in the interviews and stuff that you see, Tanya's just sort of like there. She's not really speaking up. So it's interesting to hear her find her voice. I mean, yeah. literally, because she sings the songs, but also just like as an artist. It's yeah. pretty cool to see her take the reins. Yeah, and in that, in that, yeah, it's separated from that context of yeah. all of them being more... Kristen Hirsch heavy records yeah. yeah yeah so that is Throwing Muses with Hunk Papa their underrated LP Jay do you have an underrated LP you'd like to share with me and everybody else in podcast America as always I'm gonna go with the first thing that I thought of I'm gonna go a little more above ground than you on this one too this is gonna be a blockbuster man it's a right. blockbuster band the first one that popped into my head was Goat's Head Soup by the Rolling Stones that's a big one you know you're gonna get a bunch of Rolling Stones freaks into a room and there's gonna be plenty of them who love Goat's Head Soup with reason but in the grand scheme of the discography right. it's hard to call a record underrated when it had a number one track Angie which went yep. to number one or Heartbreaker that went to number 14 I mean it yeah. had hits and it seems kind of silly to call it underrated but when you talk about the pantheon of the Rolling Stones records, it's not the record that comes up all the time. People no. are talking about your exiles. They're going to talk about some girls. They're going to talk about Between the Buttons. And if you think about it, I mean, this record fouled up probably one of the best four record runs in musical history. Of I all mean, time. you had Beggar's Banquet that came out in 68. You had Let mm -hmm. It Bleed. You had awesome. Sticky Fingers. And yep. you had Exile on Main Street. Huge. I mean, the quality of that, that's insane. Yeah. And I think we talked about, like, I don't know how many other bands or artists had had. And you had mentioned Stevie Wonder, which is a yeah. really good point. But Gold's Head Soup was coming off of a pretty high high for the Rolling Stones. Right. You know? And it's interesting because Exile and Main Street really split the room, too. There were some critics that loved it, and then there were some critics that didn't like it. And it was funny, too. Like, I think with time, that's become more of a classic than it was when it was first released. Right. I think because people right. were really, like, divided on that one, too. But then Goat's Head Soup, I feel like, and that doesn't fall in the cracks, but again, nobody really talks about that record. And it's a super solid record. I mean, it's probably after Let It Bleed, which is probably my favorite Stones record. Me I'm going to put Goat's Head Soup as my second favorite Stones record. Right, it's and just... I wouldn't, but it's just because I haven't listened to it in so long. I just recently did because you told me that you're going to spotlight it here on this episode, and 
I can tell you, it, it can definitely make a running for it. This record is pretty amazing. Yeah, and you know, they got Billy Preston playing on here, and it was kind of like the beginning of like the Rolling Stones like ballad. You had Angie, yeah. and then Fool to Cry came out, and they kind of yeah. started doing these ballady stuff. There's a lot of Stones fans who hate Angie. I don't know how. Why? I, I don't know. I was... Anna. Because the chicken just, dance, you can no, picture. No, I think it's just because of the <laughs> just because it was a ballad. They didn't feel like that was convincing as a ballad band. But I mean, it's got so many great songs on it. I mean, it has like Silver Train is great, Star Star, aka Star Fucker, and Dancing with Mr. D, yeah. which is I mean, it's a, there's a real dark vibe He's to this the devil record. Back yeah, into it, right? Devil and Death. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, there's a definite dark vibe to this record. The Coming Down Again, which is the Keith Richards song that's fucking phenomenal, and then something like do 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 heartbreaker i remember hearing track. that as a kid and you got billy preston playing the clavinet on that too but i remember hearing that and that song is so like full of like urgency and dread i always felt like that song was like if you're walking down the street and there's somebody following behind you and you're not sure if they're gonna attack you or mug you and you're that there's that <laughs> feeling of unease and i always got that with heartbreaker but the song that I really love, the song that really does it for me off of Ghost Head Soup is the song called Winter, which is very much appropriate right now because right. we're in the midst of some cold right. December shit right now. That song is just its just a killer song. And I didn't realize recently, much like Lennon and McCartney, I mean, even with the Stones, it was always Jagger Richards. I just found out recently that actually Keith didn't have much to do with the writing of Winter, that it was the mix. It was yeah. Jagger and Taylor. That's crazy. And some of the Taylor's best guitar work on the outro, that fucking song, when the yeah. strings come up. And then lyrically... I want to wrap my coat around a woman? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think about you, baby. Yeah. Sometimes I cry about you. They're so bluntly honest mm-hmm. about that. And the song is just, like I said, it's just great. Like some of Mick's tastiest guitar stuff is on there. Again, those strings and stuff come up. And it very much feels like the title. It feels like winter. It was pretty amazing because this record was recorded in Jamaica. So it's <laughs> like they're, they're bringing out this wintry feeling that we could feel in the Midwest, but I mean, they're in Jamaica. There's something, yeah, there's something kind off. of funny about that. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like Slade recording Merry Christmas Everybody in June or yeah. July or whatever they recorded, like recording a Christmas <laughs> song, recording a song called Winter where you're in the middle of Jamaica. Yeah. So and that's not a record that, oh my God, I've never heard of Goat's Head Suit, but I feel like it's a record that definitely needs to be, if you've kind of ignored it, if you yeah. spend a lifetime ignoring it, yeah. it's time to re-examine it. Time to re-examine some Goat's Head Soup. Some Goat's Head Soup, a solid fucking record. I could easily make a case for It's Only Rock and Roll, and I'll make a case for Black and Blue. I could easily have picked Black and Blue, the first Ronnie Wood record. I mean, anything with Mick Taylor on it's going to be good. I mean, yeah. come on. But Goat's Head Soup, that's the one. That's the one. That's the underrated Stones record. And I'm going to use the winter for the uh, mixtape. Now you know. Now you know. Dion, number dos for you. What do you got? Sly and the Family Stone, I'm going to talk about a record that I didn't even know existed until rather recently, and it's their debut record, A Whole New Thing. Now, we don't need to get into Sly Stone too deep. We could do an entire episode on him. This guy, Sly, is a mad musical genius and the family, the psych soul funk legends, multiple classic records, billboard successes. They're the old melting pot of the burnout misfits cranking out the hits. But in 1967, Jay, the world wasn't ready for Sylvester Stewart. It's weird calling him Sylvester Stewart. (laughs) Just like his mama. It's a fitting title, A Whole New Thing. It was an integrated band, right? Both with race and gender. You couldn't pin them down to one specific genre. They were funk, they were soul, they were dance, they were psych, they were gospel, they were rhythm and blues, they were rock and roll. They fit all of those genres into the tent. 
that was the family stolen. And the art of that is that they did it so seamlessly. The audiences of 1967 weren't ready for this, but in 1968, only a year later, they certainly were ready for it. That's when Dance of the Music came out. And it changed real quick. But the debut record went largely unnoticed, and as a result, in my opinion, it's underrated AF. Some of our listeners and the general public even may be aware of the opening cut on the album Underdog. Uh, It's been covered by the Dirt Bombs. It features that classic distorted London bridges falling down, like opening riff, and then all of a sudden, blam! Yeah, yeah! Like it's the fucking killer track. And the song is such a powerful anthem. And if you get into the lyrics, it could be considered a political statement, a protest song. It could be a soundtrack, you know, to get you up and motivated to take on the masses. This song is fucking killer. Or the man. Or the man. Take on the man. And that's just what kicks shit off. The rest of the tunes on this record are just as revolutionary. This LP is overflowing with catchy lyrics, funky grooves, gritty, sporadic, somewhat like earthy instrumentation, unconventional love songs, in-your-face gut bucket thumpers. This album, Jay, it's straight up Fox. It's It's, straight up Fox. Yeah, and I gotta say, the earliest record that I have from Sly and the Family Stone is Life, and I'm pretty really unfamiliar with those first two records, too. When you told me that you were going to feature that, I went back and listened to a little bit. I, of course, was I'm a huge Dirt Bombs fan, and so like their version of Underdog just... It slays, and yeah. they still do it live. Like yeah. the few times that they play, they still do Underdog live. It's a great fucking song, and they're a great band too. And I feel like I don't know how a band that can have that many hits be underrated, but I still feel like Sly and the Family Stone maybe don't still get talked about enough. Maybe not. I mean, because they really were this amalgamation of like all of these different styles of music, and they really did do it really seamlessly too. Right. You know, it's a sad what's happened to Sly in the last what 20 years or whatever yeah. his slip into whatever he slipped into yeah he's literally living in a van down by the river but he's still putting out some interesting music but he was always on the cutting edge but it's hard to not know who Sly and the Family Stone is just because the hits are everywhere yeah. but the debut is often you know so overlooked and I didn't even get into it till recently until you were talking about Underdog which we talked about on our Deep Covers episode you were talking about the Dirt Bombs excellent record Ultra Guide in Black so good and the version as you said you love it and I have all the classic records. I have the greatest hits. I have Stand. I have Life like you do. I have Dance to the Music. I have a Riot's going on and Fresh. And I've at least heard High on You and even fucking Small Talk. But I didn't even know this album existed until a few years back. I heard Underdog, but I assumed it was just a single because they were one of those bands, kind of like the Beatles, how they would have like singles, non-album singles. But it turns out it was uh, the first cut off of their opening record. And as soon as I found out that that existed, I needed to own it. So I went out and bought it. And guess what? It's great. <laughs> it, is, you know? it is great. None of these cuts even made their greatest hits record. I'm like, what the H, man? Like, what the F and H? Even Underdog didn't make their greatest hits record. Of course, their greatest hits record came out in 70. You know, so it was really only three records full of shit. Yeah. They just left this Well, they one were off. like literal, like, what singles were released from this record. Did any of them even chart? No. Yeah, so. No. But still. Like, I know. You got room for it, but I think everyone should listen to it. It's great. It's probably not the best <laughs> Family Stone record, but it is their most underrated record. Which is why we're here. Yeah, the voices. I mean, the entire Rainbow Coalition gets into the fray, right? Vocally, they all sing, and the gall dang horns, dude. It's just cool. <laughs> and it's not just like cool, cool. It's like Sly Stone cool, which is about as cool as cool can get. Agreed. And if you're a hip hop head, you got to check out the track 
Trip to Your Heart, and you'll find a sample source that will blow your damn mind. That's your homework assignment. Listen to Trip to Your Heart, <laughs> and you'll definitely know which hip-hop artist sampled that one. And speaking of hip-hop, the track that I want to include on our mixtape that Jay will be tasked with putting together, and then you, the Lightning Lickers out there in Podcast America, will be able to hear after we're done flapping our gums is a tune entitled if this room could talk and at the end of this tune there's some vocal scatting that he does here it's almost like beatboxing and that's a full decade or more before that was even a thing in hip-hop this is just a killer track underrated underrated i say (laughs) their debut record is sorely underrated jay the next one i'm going to do is a t-rex record i know look at that another band no one's ever heard of I'm going to do Tanks, T-A-N-X, by uh, T-Rex. Yeah, T-Rex. Everyone knows the song, Bang a Gong, Get It On, or Get, get it, it On, Bang a Gong, depending on what country you're in. I'm not a huge fan of his earlier like acoustic Detronosaurus Rex with all the Tolkien stuff, Tolkien, yeah. however you say that author's name. I came in, same as everybody else, with Electric Warrior when that came out in 71, so I was okay. probably a baby, seven or eight years yeah. old when that came out. Just a quick story. I remember when I was young and we had a babysitter, and she was a teenage babysitter. It was a girl that we went to school with, and I hung with her little brother. My parents went away. She came to the house to babysit. As soon as my parents left, she took us to her house, where my friend was also hanging out, and she had a bunch of friends there. They're all in the basement, probably smoking, probably drinking, doing all those teenage things you do when your, mo- awesome. when your mom is not there. Yeah. But they were playing Electric Warrior. Sweet. And I had heard, obviously, I had heard the single. To this so day. to you, that's what, oh, that's what, when I grow up, that's what I can listen to to have a party. <laughs> and I still remember, like, vividly the song Rip Off coming on. Yeah. And looking at, because the lyrics are on the back of the record, and just reading those lines, bleached on the beach, I want to tickle your peach. I'm like, holy shit, that's the sexy, I didn't even know what sexy was, but I yeah. knew that was one of the sexiest things that I'd ever heard in my life. And so I was a fan, like, right out of the gate. But you're, like, I, seven years old reading about tickling peaches and you're was, getting tingly? It was 71, or so I would have been... It would have been later than that. They must have been playing it later. I probably, like, nine or ten, probably, okay. when that came out. And so I didn't really get much into T-Rex again until I got into, like, my 20s. And then I fell, like, super hard. Yeah. So and then after Electric Warrior, he did The Slider, mm-hmm. which I think if you pin people down, I, most people would probably will say that that's his best record. And yeah. I will also say that, that I think yeah. like is his best record. Yep. The next record is Tanks. Tanks. And I feel because it was kind of overshadowed by those two records preceding it, Electric Warrior and The Slider, not only that record, but I think every record that he did after that, like Zinc Alloy and Bowen Zip Gum and Futuristic Dragon and Dandy in the Underworld, those are all great records. He just didn't have any hits. You know, Even in England, people stopped really caring about him much. And I love all those records. And again, I could make a case for any of those as being underrated. But I think Tanks is a super solid record. And I feel like at that point, you know, he'd only been doing the kind of that Chuck Berry boogie 50s yeah. kind of rock and roll stuff. And Tanks for me is like when he first started, you could tell he was moving in towards like a soul direction. Right. And you can hear it in the strings with the girl background singers and stuff. And mm. it always makes me sad because I wonder, because at the end of his life, he had a television show on the BBC called Mark. It was a variety show, and he would go on and he would do stuff, and he would have other bands on there. And he was already like championing bands like The Damned, like The Damned on his show. So it always kind of makes me sad to like wonder like if he had been able to re-record, like would would he have like 
integrated kind of yeah. that punk thing into his music or like a new wave thing into his music. So I'm always kind of curious as to what he would have done. But in this case, I mean, all of those records after Tanks, the ones I just mentioned, he really kind of went in the soul direction, which is interesting because he was dating, I don't know if he ever married Gloria Jones, oh. who was a soul singer, who was the original singer of Tainted Love. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I think she was actually in the car with him when he got into the accident. No died. shit. But you could see that he was starting to bring in this more like soul influences. And I think the records are super strong. And I think if you've given up after T-Rex or people have told you that the T-Rex stuff after the slider is not any good, don't believe them. Don't believe them. It is don't good. Don't believe them. Yeah. So the song that I'm going to use for the mixtape, it's a very T-Rexian title, Electric Slim and the Factory Hen. I have no fucking idea what it's about. <laughs> like, I don't know what any of his songs are about mostly, but he's really good at stringing cool words together. So, But yeah, Tanks, go back and listen to anything past that, and it's all good. Yeah, don't believe the haters on the later T-Rex stuff. Yeah. 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 Tanks. Check it out. Electric Slim and the Factory Hen. Good one. Dion. Yeah. Go. This is going to be weird. For our listeners, but I'm going to talk about De La Soul. What? We <laughs> never talk about yeah. De La Soul. I've talked about De La Soul a lot, so is Jay. <laughs> Maybe not directly, but we've referenced them in countless Lightning Licks Radio podcasts. Uh, the sound Crocker. is the sound we use to cover up, you know, when we swear. And this sound, which also makes its way into a lot of our episodes, those are samples from De La Soul. And when other people talk about De La Soul, they typically reference their first two records, 1989's undisputed groundbreaking classic, Three Feet High and Rising, and of course, the wonderful follow-up in 1991, De La Soul is Dead. Yep. A lot of credit for their critical successes of those first two records is rightfully given to DJ Prince Paul. He's a legendary producer. But that's not to say that the MCs themselves, Pasta News, Trugoy the Dove, and Maceo, or Plugs 1, 2, and 3, respectively, aren't awesome in their own right because they is, they certainly is. And I think they are at their best in this record, their third Balloon Mind State. That's balloon spelled B U H L O O N E, and then Mind State. One word. This record is incredible, and I don't think it gets enough attention. And it's underrated. As a De La Soul fan, I will completely agree with you. Because we played the death out of the first two. I said we, but I'm sure you did too. Yeah. And Balloon Mind State was kind of like a go-to, like because I felt like there was always more to discover Like every time you actually played that record. And that was, like for me, the last record that I really liked by them. Because it was also the last record that Prince Paul was involved in. Right. Like Obviously, their voices are super distinctive. So they were going to be De La Soul no matter who their crew was, who their doing the producing with and all that but I just didn't care about like I found their stuff a lot less interesting after Prince Paul left right and I did not but that's because I'm a hip hop head in the direction that they decided to take because what Prince Paul brought to the table obviously he's a great producer whatever but he brought this humor and it's not to say that they are devoid of humor after he left but the zaniness that Prince Paul brought to the table that was gone Right, They wanted to be legit. They wanted to have some sort of cred. They wanted to be a deeper part of hip-hop than just the joke band that the skateboarders and the white kids like. Right, Not that they didn't have black fans. They certainly did. But they wanted to be more hip-hop. So the next records that they had, which is Stakes is High, their next record that came out after this one, it was very boom-bat. It was very hip-hop. It wasn't like the other three. So... But that's kind of one of the reasons where I think like maybe this album got lost because a lot of hip-hop, at least in the hip-hop media, when Stakes is High came out, they were like, oh, this is De La Soul's comeback. But I'm like, no, bro. Like, they don't need to come back because their last record was awesome, too. You know, and I think people just forgot it. And you got to keep in mind, this is 1993. Hip-hop was changing. It was just about to be all about not just braggadocia, 
but it's about shiny jackets, the Puff Daddy era, that <laughs> type of thing. Jackets. So it was real easy for De La Soul to get lost in the shuffle there. This zany group of, I mean, they still never really got the stink of the hippie flower power type stuff from their first record off them. I mean, that's how the general public kind of viewed yeah. them, right? Which is the image they kind of tried to destroy with De La Soul is dead. Right. It didn't yeah. really work, did it? I don't, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I was lucky enough. This vinyl record is actually very hard to find. I got lucky at the kitchen. It was right up front in the new edition bin years ago, and it was waiting for me like it was meant to be. Yeah, that's one of my greatest regrets is I remember when you bought that, and I went, oh, I need that on vinyl. And then I ordered it, ended up ordering it from Amoeba, and I got it in the mail, and it was warped. And I'm super OCD about that. <laughs> There's a certain amount of warpage. That's the question. is like, how much warpage can you live with? Yeah. And I, apparently, I couldn't live with it. So I actually sent it back to get another copy. And you never got well, it. Well, I got a refund. I didn't realize like how few copies that they were making. I've heard rumblings that they might be coming out the other end of the tunnel here with the Tommy Boy stuff, that they, at some point the stuff might get reissued again, right. hopefully. The first Tommy Boy reissue of uh, Three Feet High and Rising is really great. We right. had that shitty, we both bought that shitty Three Men in a Beard uh, version Day of Dela Soul is Dead, which is which a terrible pressing. Yeah. Yeah, which makes me not want to buy anything from that label ever again. Right. But yeah, Balloon Mind State is a freaking great record. For me, being a white kid who grew up in the 70s, like hearing Steely Dan samples and Hall samples you know that hit me in a different way but i think prince paul still had a lot to do with balloon mind state but i felt it was a lot less goofy they didn't have the skits right it was more like a straight up hip-hop record but it was still fun but like you said lyrically it was pretty heavy yeah it was it was more personal there's some live instrumentation on this record musicians maceo parker fred wesley and peewee ellis those names sound familiar 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 i am maceo i be blowing the soul out of this horn my most memorable studio moment was Balloon Mind State with the original JBs, Pee Wee Ellis, Fred Wesley, and Maceo Parker. Those three guys working on the Balloon Mind State project, spending about a good two weeks in the studio with them. Every time the phone rang for Maceo, it wasn't, no one was sure it was for me or Mr. Parker. <laughs> you know, the actually hang out with James Brown crew, being with, you know, some guys that my grandmother, you know, grew up partying to their music. So here you have De La Soul playing with James Brown's band. Yeah. On previous records, they were sampling James Brown records. So you can tell they're kind of hitting it big time. You yeah. know, this is like art. Right here. And this is the first hip hop record that I actually listened to, and I kind of treated it more like art than just rap, you know? I knew I liked it, I knew I loved rap music, but I never really felt until I listened to this album that it was like pure poetry. And a lot of the stuff they were saying, of course, I didn't get all the references, but you could tell they were getting a lot more personal. And I didn't even know you could write rap songs like that. I don't even know you could like describe your family tree in a rap song, you know what I mean? <laughs> this was big for me, and I think this record is sorely overlooked. And if you're a fan of Lightning Licks Radio or a fan of De La Soul, make sure you check this one out front to back. You're not going to be disappointed. It's great. If you don't already know. You need to know. You need to know. Putting the mixtape together off of Balloon Mind State. What's the track that you're going to pick for the mixtape? 
I'm going to pick one of those songs that was with the original JBs that they also, helped produce. Also went on to play with the Parliament Funkadelic yeah. family, too. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, that should be noted. That's cool. This is a track, I Am, I Be. This is one of those that was uh, extremely personal. Like I said, they got that live instrumentation. It's really a cool track, and it's really a track that meant a lot to me. I rocked the crap out of it. I played out that tape. Uh, you know, Then I bought it on CD a few times, and I was lucky enough to get the vinyl. This is one for me that I bought a billion times, and if I have to, I'll buy it a billion more. <laughs> exactly. That's I Am, I Be, De La Soul, Balloon Mind State. Check it out, Jay. Awesome. You got another one for I us? I do. Uh, my next one is a little band out of New York called Television. Who? Television. You've heard of television, right? Yeah. Obviously, if I'm talking about television, you already know which record I'm going to talk about. I mean, right. they made a reunion record, which I actually have never even heard. Yeah. But you know, if I'm talking about television, I'm going to be talking about Adventure, the second record. Uh-huh. Yes. Marquee Moon is stellar. Yes, it just broke boundaries. There's nothing that sounds like it before or really since. It was a very influential record. I'm going to be the contrarian here that I always am. Yeah. And I actually like Adventure a little bit more. Oh, you I know. cannot I, I, be serious. I had posted one time, maybe like a few years ago, I would talk. I was listening to Adventure, and I said how it was like my favorite television record. And I had a couple of friends go, whoa, that's, that's some bold statement. <laughs> Settle right down, Eric. There. But I don't know. It, I feel like, obviously, Marky Moon is a masterpiece. It's a classic. And I also will say, I know earlier we talked about when I was in high school, we had a high school radio station. And I would steal records because it was mostly they would play high rock and metal. Permanently borrow. And I would steal, yeah, I would permanently borrow records that I knew weren't going to make the playlist. Mm-hmm. And Adventure was one of those records. Yeah, Adventure to me is, it's the same band, obviously, but it's a different record where I feel like the first record was a little more intense. It was kind of, it was very ambitious, the guitar work and all that stuff. And I feel like Adventure is, for the most part, a little more laid back than the first record. I mean, of course, obviously, the guitar interplay is still there. Yeah. All the stuff that you love about television is there, but I feel like Adventure is a little less intense and maybe a little more enjoyable. I mean, I yeah. hate to say that. Palatable? But I don't even think it's palatable. I, just, I feel like there's a certain ease that comes with listening to Adventure for me. I don't want to say Marquee Moon is challenging because I do love that record, but there's something about Adventure that's just easy to, for me to listen to. Right. It was as pop as television was ever going to get. Like, I feel like even the, the song structures and stuff, I felt like it had more of a pop leaning to it. I feel like it was a little bit, yeah, maybe a little more accessible. And I don't think anyone denies that it's a, not a great record. It is. But it, when you're throwing it up against Marquee Moon, yeah. it kind of gets overshadowed a little bit. Oh, yeah. And so for me, television's adventure, like that's probably my go-to. And I listen to it actually like quite a bit. If you're going to have to pick a song off of that record, what is it going to be that's going to make the mix? Yeah, I'm going to say, and I've said this before, and I mean it, it's a song on there called Days. And if there is a more beautiful song ever written and recorded by anybody ever than Days, <laughs> I haven't heard it. I haven't, heard, takes with I, I haven't heard it. It's a beautiful song, and it's a great record. So, And it's funny, because as much as I love television, I never bought that reunion record that they did. I don't know how many years after they did. I still, to this day, have not ever heard that oh, at all. That's something interesting. Which is really weird. Yeah. I should probably just check it out, but probably. I just never have. But I've heard yeah. how awful it is. Oh, you did So I'm afraid to, which is going to come up later from yeah. one of my next selections. Okay. We'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> so Television Adventure uh, Days is going on the mix. And I've recently listened to the whole record just because you shared with me that you were going to spotlight that track on this episode. And I never really listened to it all the way through. And I don't know necessarily if I concur with you, but then again, I've only had one real listen. And like you said, when you're putting it up against a classic, 
it's going to take maybe a little bit to eclipse that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it is a de- it's definitely an awesome record. Thanks for bringing in, it to our attention. <laughs> you have to go in knowing it's not Marquee Moon. Yeah. It's the second record. Yeah. It's the <laughs> difficult second. It's the sophomore jinx record. Yeah. But it's not jinxy to me. What do you got, Dan? What do you got next? All right. I got a... Uh, this is a guy you probably never heard of, Neil Young. Huh. No. <laughs> I'm going to talk about his 1986 record, Landing on Water, and it's fucking Neil Young, so there's no real yeah, background information that's necessary. Yeah. We know who he is, and obviously, yeah. you know, it's Neil Young. Uh, but this is one of those times where, Jay, I would like to bring it up to you because I feel like you would have more of an insight. It's my pick, obviously, but you would have more insight. Like, you were around during this time. This the one, Gaffin years of, I mean, do you remember anything about that? No, and it, as much of a Neil Young fan as I am and continue to be, like, I wasn't as obsessive then as I am now. So I remember seeing, like, the Neil Young and the Shocking Pinks video on yeah. MTV and stuff, wondering. And, and I remember all of the critics and everyone talking about what the fuck was going on with trans yeah. and I also love the fact that David Geffen sound, sued, him. sued him for not sounding like himself which is hilarious <laughs> but I didn't really actually get into those records till much much later so they really don't have a, a connection as much as I liked the earlier stuff yeah. I, those were kind of some lost years for me like I didn't really listen to that stuff I didn't own those records until much later in my life right so this is what I, I have mean, no perspective on those really yeah. the basic uh, situation is he releases trans in 82 it's very like electronic there's a vocoder layers of electronics actually and at the time people were like WTF like make a rock and roll record so then David Geffen sues him and he's like you need to make a rock and roll record because this is commercial fucking suicide and so he does but he makes a rockabilly record yeah and then he uh they're like oh get back to country rock so he says okay so then he makes a deep country record and then he makes this record, landing this on Landing on Water, and it's it's a rock record, but it's very electronic. It's got some synths. It is of its time. Yeah, it's got electric or electronic, electronic drums. drums. That's one of the things I like most about, mostly time with electronic drums, it's sort of like vanilla, right? It's sort of like across the way. It's like, but like the way Neil treated these, it sounds like these drums are going to like pop out of your speakers at any moment. Like they are so intense, you know? And I look at the songs and I listen to the songs and and they're just, the critics will say, well, these are just reject songs that he wrote with Crazy Horse and they never really went anywhere. So it's not even really a record, you know, he's just putting this shit out. But the way I think about it, especially after seeing the documentary that we both just recently saw, Harvest Time, which was the 50th anniversary of Harvest and all that. Just a beautiful film. I'm glad we saw it. But you get a glimpse into how he kind of writes songs there. And to me, even if it's a leftover a song or a song that he wrote with Crazy Horse that he didn't do anything with, it's still a fucking Neil Young song. Right. And there's still value to it. And the fact that he got those together and he treated them the way that he did and then put them together on this record, like I respect it. And now that I listen to this, I like this record. You I know? do too, yeah. I really like it. He likes it. He likes it. He likes it. I really like the songs on it and I like the way it sounds. And I think it's cool that Neil Young had this phase in his career where he was just basically like I'm just gonna keep discovering and reinventing myself he's always a guy that's go. followed the muse like he's never really give a fuck about yeah. you know what his audience or what he thought his audience expected of him he just always did Neil that's so you know cool. and, I lo- and I love that about him too and I and recently I got, someone had given that to me um, I actually have a couple copies of that now a friend of mine who was getting rid of some of his records gave that to me and I hadn't really hadn't listened to him in years and I too was kind of surprised that like how actually pretty solid that record is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, and there's a lot, but I mean, it's hard to like pick out like a specific Neil Young record that's underrated because what he's got like 45 and 
counting studio records. It yeah. seems like he's coming out with a new one or something that was shelved in the vaults like every month. I mean, he's just putting out crazy records. Yeah. That's not even including the comps or the soundtracks. And if you speak of soundtracks, like that Dead Man soundtrack he did for that, yeah. that's fucking amazing. Like the guy's got so much material that you could really just sort of like put them all on a wheel and spin it and it's going to land on something that's probably underrated but the point of this episode is for us something that's in our collection that we fell in love with that didn't get the credit it deserved and now we're uh, in the position to try to convince somebody to check it out because we believe it's underrated I think this whole era of his this whole Geffen years you know the 80s for Neil Young is probably underrated it's better than you've been told yeah but I feel like they've come around on trans I feel like yeah. they've come around on a certain amount even the the rockabilly record there <laughs> with the pink I mean there's like some good stuff in there but with this record I think it's just objectively good yeah like it's not like you have to search through to find the little things that are good about it like I think the whole fucking thing's good I think the songs are great and that's why I love it so for the mixtape the song that I want to spotlight off of this record is the song Hippie Dream and it's one of those tracks where the drums feel like they're gonna bounce out of the speakers the guitar licks are fucking awesome and it's just a really well written song I can hear if Crazy Horse was to do this how they may have done it differently but I love that Neil brought it in treated it this way and presented it you know for us to enjoy the way that it is I love this fucking song Hippie Dream Neil Young an artist you probably never heard of (laughs) (laughs) you've not heard of any of these artists I'm certain of it but that's off his uh, 1986 album Landing on Water Jay do you have another underrated album that you'd like to discuss I do and I'm going to discuss if I'm making a list of probably like my top 10 artists and or bands of all time this band is most certainly on it and that band is XTC XTC we talked about them before you love them I'm a huge huge fan of that band and the records I'm going to talk about, well, I'm going to talk about one specifically, but I could talk about either one of those. They did the two records with Barry Andrews, and he left, and Dave Gregory came on, and so there was Drums and Wires and Black Seas where I came in, and then they did this double record called English Settlement, which somehow in America, they're so dumb, they released it as a single record, not the double record that was intended, but that's America for you. And it was kind of like, you know, kind of considered at their time the sprawling masterpiece, kind of like right. an apex of what XTC did. That came out in 82, and then they put out two records after that, a record called Mummer, and then a record called The Big Express, and those are the two records. I mostly want to talk about The Big Express, but I feel like I could make a case for both of those records as being underrated. What ended up happening was, most people know the XTC folklore, basically Andy Partridge started getting these anxiety attacks at the point where he couldn't perform anymore, and XTC essentially, for the most part, became a studio studio band, much like the Beatles, for different reasons. And so their original drummer, if we're going to talk about also underrated, probably one of the most underrated drummers of all time, Terry Chambers. So he left the band after English Settlement came out. So basically, they were making these studio records that they knew they didn't have to go out live and perform them. So they were able to be a little freer with their sound and whatnot. So they put out Mummer, and they put out The Big Express. They would go on, obviously, to bigger fame with the Dukes of Stratosphere, the Skylarkings, the Mayor of Simpletons, and the Oranges and Lemons. But those two records, both Mummer and The Big Express, I feel like just kind of fell along the wayside. Like I remember buying those, and I didn't really remember anybody really talking about them. And Mumber is cool. It's a perfect record. It's, you look at the cover, kind of has this like green paper cover. Like yeah. Mumber has something to do with like it's like a paper thing. That record is like kind of pastoral and quiet. It's a very kind of a mellower record. Where the Big Express has this big gear on the cover and it's this big train gear or whatever. Yeah. I don't even know what it is. 
where Mummer is as pastoral as the cover, this is as clangy and noisy as the cover is for this record. Right. And when I was trying to figure out the uh, the song I wanted to use for the mixtape, this is one of those records back in the day when I would make a mixtape or a mix CD, and sometimes you're trying to pick the song, you end up listening to the whole record because you can't pick it. And you're, you're like, as you're picking, oh no, I'll do this one. Oh no, I'll do this one. You end up yeah. listening to the whole record. Yeah, that's what I did with Big Express, and um, I <laughs> did feel it like this time too. It did, yeah, yeah. I did. I end up listening to the whole thing. It's a clangy, noisy record. It does have its beautiful moments. Like I bought myself a liar bird which even the chorus comes in all noisy and stuff too. And it also has, for my money, the best anti-nuclear bomb, nuclear war song ever recorded by anybody ever called This World Over. Oh, wow. So that's not what I'm going to put on the mixtape, but it's just this beautifully written, lyrically beautiful song about, you know, end times after the nuclear bomb has been dropped. Because in the 80s and 90s, we all worried about that. Oh, yeah. You know? It's coming back. It's yeah. coming back in a vogue. Well, good. It's good that, it's good that there's a renaissance. So again. there may be another greatest song about nuclear attacks soon. But there's a lot of really good songs on here. And um, the song that I want to do uh, for the mix is the record opener, which is a song called Wake Up, yeah. which is essentially about people getting up, just like a robot going throughout their day, not noticing anything, just hard-hearted. Just, they're just closed in. They're in their own heads. They're just not aware of what's going on around them. They're yeah. just kind of zombie walking through life. Right and that's what this song is about. But it's super cool because, like, I love the the sound of the record. It's it's basically it's like these guitar chords that just go back and forth. Yeah. But then in the end, you know, they bring up like this angelic choir during the background vocals, and the way that they do some of the background vocals is super interesting. And then there's like these strings and like these percussions. It's just an amazing song. If right, you're, the fade out's rad too because it's like they're not dropping all of the faders on the board, just a few of them, and letting yeah. a few of them sit and just sort of like ring out on their own, like yeah. naturally. Yeah, and yeah. they're leaving those angelic background vocals up, those ethereal background vocals up on top. It's just yeah. a cool song, and the whole record is really good. And if you're not an XTC fan, I mean, people are going to tell you to go get Drums and Wires, or they're going to say to get Skylarking or whatever. I love all those records too, my they're God. Good. They're good. But don't give short shrift to Mummer or The Big Express. No, those check are them out. both great records. Yeah. And yeah, you're not going to go wrong. Yeah, both those records belong in my collection. Yeah. So I'm going to be keeping an eye out for them. I do have a lot of XTC, but I mean, those are one of the bands where you can't really go wrong with whatever you pick up. So if no. you see it reasonably priced, you might as well give her a shot, right? Yeah. Which I don't know if you, I don't, I never really see XTC stuff like in the wild very much in these days. Or ever, really. Well, I got all mine in the wild somehow, so I didn't order any of them. So, XTC, Dion, we got our last one. Which yep. is your last selection? I'm going to talk about 1996 album House of Music by an R&B group uh, named Tony, Tony, Tony. Whoa. Big fan of the Tony, Tony, Tony. Modern R&B hit makers, late 80s, middle 90s, led by Rafael Sadiq, whom I love. He's a vocalist, multi-instrumentalist, uh, primarily a bassist during his time with Tony, 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 but also a producer, and he's worked with, like, literally a billion people. There's too many to name. He's a storied collaborator. We'll leave it at that. The underrated record I want to talk about was this group's last record. You know, we've talked about debuts that were underrated. Now we can examine a swan song that was sadly overlooked. Uh, Wiki says that the sales didn't meet expectations, but this thing went platinum. So I don't know exactly what they were expecting. Like Mercury was expecting like slippery when wet numbers or some shit. They were looking for like the Black Shania Twain or Urban Elton John or something. I don't know what they were thinking, but platinum wasn't good enough. Uh, didn't meet expectations. And the group disbanded after that. 
This record is killer front to back. There's no filler to speak of. It features quality production, solid songwriting, live instrumentation from the boys. It's super tight. It's funky. It bumps in the club, but it also can pull at your heartstrings, and it can make you think about some things. It's the total package, and it's a shame that it isn't the first record that's brought up when 2020 is discussed. People generally regard their second and third record as their most well-known. The Revival in 1990 and Sons of Soul in 93. Those records did sell really well, and they did have hits. How many hits did they actually have? Uh, quite a few, probably a dozen or so. Okay. The big hits, though, would be like, It Feels yeah, Good yeah. to Know and That And I remember them, some of you those songs, that. but I don't, yeah, yeah, I just wasn't sure like how and, uh, successful they really were. Well, I mean, double platinum selling records, I mean, no. on the charts, enough, the R&B enough charts. Enough to be big enough where a million sellers are a disappointment. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they had that song, If I Had No Loot, you know, da 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 Hey, so I mean, they had quite a few great songs. With a new deck swing. Oh, no. I love that fucking tune. But uh, these are all like classic modern R&B jams. But to me, this record, House of Music, it really featured them like integrating more hip hop into their sound, uh, as well as neo soul songs like Still a Man. They really started to tap into that neo soul vibe. You know, they were getting to that vintage vibe. I feel like they were bit. a little bit ahead of their time on that too. Oh, yeah. A little oh, bit. Yeah. And eventually, I mean, it it seems like that sort of laid the groundwork to Raphael Sadiq to go even further, because in 2008, he released perhaps, like, the most Motown-sounding record that wasn't actually recorded at Motown of all time. And uh, that was his solo record, The Way I See It, from 2008. I'm not kidding, this record is as close to sounding like Motown as anything you could imagine. It's like the production, the songwriting, the vibe, everything was perfection. Uh, But with House of Music, the record we're talking about now, I also think it's perfection. Uh, And the song, The Choice Cut, that I want to spotlight on our mixtape to represent this underrated record is the cut entitled Let's Get Down. Uh, It's a club jam that features DJ Quick as a rapper and also a co-producer. And DJ Quick happens to be one of the most criminally underrated rappers and hip-hop producers of the 90s. So it's neat to feature him on this underrated episode as well. Quick's music, it isn't deep at all. It's all about basically Hoves and Hennessy. (laughs) Like, I mean, that's all you're going to get from DJ Quick. But he's got a really cool voice. He sounds kind of like a more polished Eazy-E. And his beats are spectacular. It's the best that the West Coast has to offer. And he came up with those guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think he was kind of overshadowed by... Right, the whole NWA. Well, they were all from Compton. He was yeah. from Oakland. You oh, know? Yeah, that's so, right. I mean, he was Northern like, California. That's right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I forgot. So he'd have been like in that too short crew. But he definitely, <laughs> yeah, he definitely does not get the credit that he deserves. Like I said, his, his bars aren't deep, but he can rap his ass off. He's a really good rapper and he's a great producer. So if you like modern R and B. And if you like Neo Soul, you should check out Tony, Tony, Tony. And if you like explicit West Coast rap, check out DJ Quick. And if you like underrated tunes in general, then you can listen to Lightning Licks Radio because we have one more that we're going to discuss before you get to hear an awesome mixtape. Jay, who's it going to be? My last one is uh, a band called Mott. M-O-T-T. Mott. Um, Sounds familiar. I, yeah. So I became aware of Mott the Hoople back when I was a kid. Me and my, I belonged to the Columbia Record Club, and they would have these like kind of treasuries where they would do you these. You still owe them money? No. Okay. Probably, no, not them. There's oh. other ones I do, though. Oh. But they would put together like these three record comps, and there was one called Rock On, and it had a bunch of like stuff from the label, stuff that just kind of like, you know, Lost Leader, trying to get people to buy their other stuff. And I remember being a kid, I'm super young, nine, ten, and I can't remember how old I was, the first time I heard All the Way from Memphis, and I would just play that song over and over and over and yeah. over again. I just fell in love with it. But I was young, so I wasn't really buying a lot of records because I didn't have a lot of money. But as I got into high school and I got older, I really got into Mop the Hoople, and they became 
one of my favorite bands and one of yeah. the guys that we talked about our our musical senseis, our musical, what do we call them, our musical gurus. We talked about a guy named Gary who lived across the street from a friend of mine yeah. who turned me on to a bunch of shit. And he was the one that really got me going on the Mata Hoople thing. Yeah. I remember that episode. And that after that episode, that's the only Mata Hoople, besides the hits. I mean, they, they're they're around or whatever, but that's yeah. when I first started to check them out after that Influencers episode. Influencers, thank yeah. you. I couldn't think of it. I mean, I'm not going to go into any Mata Hoople stuff. You, if people know about Mata Hoople. So at one point, they released their last record, The Hoople. Ian Hunter, Mick Ronson was in the band for about three seconds, and Ian Hunter split the band. He left the band, he went solo, took Mick Ronson, they did some stuff together. The remaining members, Mick Ralphs had already left the band to form Bad Company with Paul Rogers. And so the rest of the band continued on. They dropped The Hoople and just became (laughs) Mott. Mott. Okay, so the first record they put out was called Drive On, and that was put out in uh, 1975. I have spent my whole life having people tell me that those Mott records are shit. They're, right. they're terrible. There's no need to ever listen to them. And for whatever reason, as much as I love Mott the Hoople, I never got around to it. Right. I never listened to any of those two records, Drive On or uh, Shouting and Pointing. A few years ago, I came across both of the records. Uh-huh. I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to buy it. I'm a completist dork. I want this Mott the Hoople shit. And I was completely blown away about how wrong everybody was about You're telling me that records. they were lying to you. They were, no, they, I don't think they were lying. They were just wrong. It's not <laughs> bad. It's like, I, I think if you get past the point where you're like, okay, this is not Mount the Hoople with Ian Hunter. You can't compare it to that. It's like comparing Adventure to Marky Moon. Yeah. It still sits on its own as good. If you're just going with an open mind. And those two records that they did as Mott are freaking absolutely amazing. It's actually kind of more rock and rolly. It's actually a little bit more glammy than even the Mop the Hoople stuff. I don't like why I went so long listening to them and saying that this stuff is not great. I love both of these records. Drive On was the first one. Shouting and Pointing was the record that released after that. They had a new singer. The singer's name was Ray Major, complete opposite of Ian Hunter. <laughs> he has a high voice, almost Getty Lee-ish, but yeah. not as shrill as Getty. I mean, I love Getty Lee, don't get me wrong, but not as shrill. But I feel like they're just such solidly great rocking records. And I remember when I first heard the title track, Shouting and Pointing, which is the song I'm going to put on the mixtape, I nearly shit myself. It's so good. Yeah. Like the production's amazing. Like the drums, like the bass drum on that song is just amazing. So if you too have been told that the Mott records are not good and you don't need to waste any time on them, you do need to waste you, your time. I'm on telling them. you, or spend your time that you do. You do. You do need to check it out. And technically, actually, they did after this. Both records sold super poor. Like they just didn't sell any records. Nobody gave a shit. They did actually go on to form another band called British Lions. That first British Lions record is actually really good, too. And a lot of people don't know about that either. And then they recorded like a second record that the label wouldn't put out. And then another label ended up putting it out a year later. But again, to no one, no one gave a shit. But buy those Mott records and buy the British Lions stuff, too. It's also fucking cool, also. Right. I was looking on uh, Spotify, and it just is categorized under Mott the Hoople. You can find those records yeah. under Mott the Hoople. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're both great records, and they're definitely worth... I think they're worth your time. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to pick one song to represent those records or specifically a yeah, record. Yeah, the, the title track, Shouting and Pointing. That song is the one that, na- I mean, the whole record is great, but that's the song that just sucked me in. It just rocks so hard. It does rock. It's like this big, big it starts off with this kind of big pompous glam rock thing, and then it just comes in with this great riff and these like super heavy drumming, and it's yeah. just, a, a, it's a great record. It's a great song. If you're not air drumming to this, then you don't. 
Yeah. You're just not an air drummer. That's no, all you're, you're doing. No, you're never going to be. <laughs> Which is probably okay. Do people even still play air guitar and air drums anymore? Probably I not. I do. I do too, but I'm old. Yeah. That's what we did in the So 70s. there you have it. Of those songs, Jay's going to put them together on yeah. a mixtape. We're going to play that right now so that you can hear what we think is absolutely the most underrated mixtape of all time, in our opinion. <laughs> yeah, and away we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here it is. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Play this record as frequently as possible. Then, as it becomes easier for you, play the record once a day or as needed. Shorty, I be for eleven. I am, I be, I am, I, I am. Are you short. safe now? I am Patrick. <laughs> I'll do that I again. Be the biggest I am shorty. In the world. I be for eleven. I am Jack, and I, <laughs> I am, am short. I am short. I am short. 
I be I am Chip I am Morgan And I be Trevor I be the new generation of slaves here to make papes to buy a record exec rates. The pile of revenue I create, but I guess I don't get a cut cause my rents I'm on flake. Product of a North Carolina cat who scratched the back of a pretty woman named Hattie. Who departed life just a little too soon and didn't see me grab the plug tune fame as we go a little something like this. Look ma, no protection, now I got a daughter named Ayana Monet. And I can play the cowboy to rustle in the dough So the scenery is healthy with her eyes lay I am an early bird, but the feathers are black So the apples that I catch are usually all worms But it's a must to decipher one's queen From a worm who plays groupie and spread around the bad germ I cherish the twilight I maximize my soul is the right size I watch for the power to run out on the moon And that'll be sometime soon in the fist of kids speaking that they're black when they're just niggas trying to be Greek or some tongues who lied and said we'll be natives to the end nowadays we don't even speak I guess we got our own life to live or is it because we want our own kingdom to rule every now and then I step to the now for now I see back then I might have acted like a fool now I won't apologize for it this is not a bunch of ratings but a bunch of black man's pride yet I can safely say I've never played a sister by touching where her private parts reside. I've always walked the right side of the road. If I wasn't making song, I wouldn't be a thug selling I'm drugs. A but a man with a plan. And if I was a drug cleaner, bet your pasta have the cleanest drugs I am. The plug tube brand with the flavor in the flute. Watch the sniffing, so a sack of shows in demand. I read the diction from the second page. I got the one-two gauge baritone to the ism fan. Trees fall so I can play ground with my ink. So let me lead you till my M's go. I push the infinite and carry it. My carry is a three over one, so my plugins already know. Lick shots with my will catch the booth from a ghost in the heckling crowd. If I give a foot, Jack Bill caught a spill when a spill came from my mouth. I put a head down south. I don't check for the noose in the neck, so I never tell my M's that finesse is knocking at my door. I choose to run from the rays of the burning sun and dodge a needle washing up upon a sandy shore. I bring the element H with the two, so you owe me what's coming when I'm raining on your new parade. It's just mine over matter, and what matters is that the mind isn't guided by the pun of shade. I keep the walking on the right side, but I won't judge the next who handles oh, walking on the wrong. How he wants to be No difference See, I wanna be Like the name of this song I am Be the new generation of slaves here to make papes to buy record exec rakes. The pile of revenue I create, but I guess I don't get a cut cause my rents are on flake. The deeds of a natural are seeds that are no longer planted, so the famine in the mind is strong. Tactics of another plane is now proven sane. Sane enough to let you know from within the song. I stabilize many cableized viewers so my occupation is known, but not why I occupy. And that is to bring the peace, not in the flower, but the Asalaamu Alaikum in the third I am. I'm the number.
yes. Tony, Tony, Tony. And DJ Quick. <laughs> you didn't think we could flip it on your ass, huh? Something for the dance floor. In a real way. It's going down like this forever. And a day. It's not a drag, cause Mr. DJ Quick got a brand new bag, but first I got a bang bang, a boogie for the boogie to the rhythm of the ghettoy streets, check it out now, you trying to give me some eight ball, but no way, I'd rather have a mimosa with Cristal and OJ, yeah, just a little something bubbly and tingly to have me walking around naked, but wait a sec, the function's on, around midnight, what time is it?
And uh, that was a mix. That was the mix. That was incredibly underrated. Ten songs of <laughs> complete wall-to-wall underratedness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's pretty much what we are too. I do believe that the uh, Lightning Licks Radio podcast is pretty underrated, and uh, I'm glad that you don't agree. I'm glad that you uh, or you do agree. I guess that would be you do agree. You don't think we're overrated? We're fucking awesome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we were all. Thank hard. you for being here with us, <laughs> and we appreciate you hanging out with us as always. Keep your eyes and your ears peeled for our, our next episode, which is going to be our best of 2022. All oh, those are fun. We pick our top 11 records of the year. That's a little more ping pongy. We don't spend a lot of time on there, but we, we want right. to spotlight some stuff that we really dug this year. Right, and I think I've got a sneak peek of Jay's choices. They're really interesting. They're nothing like mine. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to stay away from, like, having mine match up with Obama's. Like, that's my greatest fear that, like, more than 50% of my end of year list will match up with President Obama's. I'm like, yeah, I can't have that. But what does that mean? Does that mean he's super hip or you're not hip at all? That's what I'm worried about. Like, I should be more hip than, I mean, I never, you I'm not going to be more powerful you... than the president, but as far as, like, music is concerned, I should be more hip. But then again, he's, you he's and a soul Barack brother. You both hip. Yeah. You and Brock both got it going on. I just don't want to be equally hip. <laughs> I want to be a different kind of hip. It's not sure, even being yeah. better or worse. I just want to be different. Sure. I just want to be different. Well, you've never been president, so it's different already. Yeah, but what, he shouldn't have time to listen to as much music as I got. Like, I should be able to listen to more music and have better, different opinions. Than he's a jogger, so he's got all the time to listen to music. I guess he so. He runs. He's got, all, he's got all nothing but you know, time when he's running to listen to music. Jeez, we'll I'm see. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah. We'll see, Barack. <laughs> <laughs> but as always, I uh, can't say it enough. Thank you for listening. Thanks for taking the time and hanging out with us. We do certainly appreciate it. We love it. And we probably won't talk to you before then. So nope. Happy New Year. Merry Happy Christmas. New Year, Merry Christmas. All uh, that. Merry Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, mm-hmm. all those things. Whatever you celebrate, merry to you about that. With yep. that. Merry to you. Happy to that. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Let's, Are we let's, out? We're gonna is that, bring in the. Is that theme song gonna come out? Here it comes. Oh, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Okay. Good day, everybody. Sonic contributors to episode 26 of Lightning Licks Radio include Lee Moses, Holland Dozier Holland, LL Cool J, Pink Floyd, David Bowie, Led Zeppelin, Anthony Fantano, Offset, Throwing Muses. The Breeders, Belly, The Rolling Stones, Sly and the Family Stone, T-Rex, Smart, De La Soul, Prince Paul, The JBs, Lou Rawls, Slave, Jay Diller, Television, Neil Young, Crazy Horse, XTC, Tony Tony Tony, Raphael Sadik, DJ Quick, Mark the Hoople, British Lions, Pavement, the Cockers. Join us for our 2022 year in review episode. Good day. Good day. Lightning Lux is in the mix. The rocks faded with these dusty fingertips. We learn from digging in the bins at electric hitch. We are living the hits. We got funkin' soul and so much more We got the hip-hop, rip-hop, new and old We got the free jazz, punk, rock, disco, gold Garage, psyched up, and acoustic funk And then you request like, nah, man I think I left that LP at home It's on the shelf in my basement That's where it belongs Sorry, y'all Now don't get me wrong I really do appreciate your input But I don't really need your stinking input 
Nah, B, I'm just playing. Just trying to play too. The rule is what I'm saying. Why waste your time on a top 40 hit list when you can prep platters like a catering business? So fresh, I'm high five on my deck. Maybe we collaborate and kill it. That's teamwork, baby. You are an obese treat with the guts so deep to make your ear holes bleed. Dusty groups and forgotten gems. Sample sources from way back when. You're like, hmm, that sounds familiar. Well, it's Osley Bros. Now, Biggie Cupid in the bud is still ill and it still kills. It's a bona fide hope for that for a last Bye.